0: Greetings, everybody. This episode of the podcast is proudly presented by Pacific Coast Golf Guide. That is starting in 2019. Golf Guide magazine will become Pacific Coast Golf Guide and will cover every golf course, public, private, municipal, daily fee, semi-private. It just doesn't matter. Find information on every golf course in the 2019 edition of Pacific Coast Golf Guide Available at over 1,100 different golf courses across California, Nevada, Oregon, Washington, and Hawaii. Uh, so when that does come out at the end of January, I encourage all of you to pick it up and check that out. Pacific Coast Golf Guide and more information can also be found at golfguide.net. All right, let's, uh, let's get into this podcast. Before we start, we've got a new, just savagely awesome intro song for you. This actually comes from my buddy, The Broiler. Uh, broiler has been a, uh, a figure in the North Bay music scene for well over a decade. Uh, you can find information about Broiler, and you can also download his albums at broiler.bandcamp.com. That's Broiler as in the Burger King broiler. Um, and this uh, song comes from the album Someone's Thunder, which is one of my favorites. But you can also find his new album, Land in the North, at Broiler. What was at broiler.bandcamp.com. Okay, without any further delay, let's get to it, everybody. Another episode of the Golf Guide Podcast. It's kind of funny. I feel like every week I start coming on here now and say, "Ah, oh, you know, we got kind of a short uh, little episode for you." But you know what? The fact of the matter is, with this new format that we're doing, almost every episode of this podcast is going to be shorter than it used to. I I remember taking a look. I don't know if you guys have the willpower to do so, but if you go back and look at the very like the first couple of episodes that we did of this podcast a couple of years back, when uh, when Casey and I would sit down and just drink beers and do this podcast. We were like doing Rogan-esque like three-hour podcasts, which were awesome, but also probably a little much to digest. Uh, (laughs) But uh, nonetheless, the format from then out where we basically just kind of go through the week's news and then we have a couple other things, it's only going to end up being somewhere between a 10 to 30-minute podcast every week. But as I mentioned uh, in last week's podcast, we are going to be starting a supplemental secondary podcast. It's going to be focusing more on the long-form interviews and stuff like that. Um, This podcast will mostly just be me, uh, for better or for worse. Um, Yeah, kind of recapping everything going on in the world of professional golf, but also kind of keeping you up to date on anything happening in terms of Pacific Coast golf, golf courses closing, opening, and all that kind of stuff like that. So apologies again for... uh, instinctively wanting to tell you that the episode is going to be short one. in fact it's going to be roughly the same length as every episode that you've listened to for the past couple of months so with that out of the way uh, let's jump into it a couple of items to address regarding professional golf before we jump into a couple of other things this week um first of all uh, if we're going to start at the top we might as well start start at the top of the world golf rankings where uh justin rose's win at the turkish airlines open has catapulted him back to the number one ranked golfer in the world. So a very hearty congratulations to Justin Rose and his team. Um, it is anticipated to be short-lived. It is uh, People are saying that Brooks Kepka almost assuredly will retake the number one spot in the world golf rankings uh, after the tournament this upcoming weekend. So, uh, yeah. Yeah, I, I think all of this means that really... The number one golfer in the world is an honor that really, it, it, it's tough to say that it really hasn't meant much since Tiger Woods fell from that top spot, but when was the last time that somebody was just undoubtedly the best player in the world, and it, it, there really wasn't much of a discussion, where the number one player in the world golf rankings was the consensus best player in the world? Um it's probably tiger. I mean, I know a couple weeks ago, especially right after that PGA Championship victory from Brooks Kepka, you know, you everybody was saying, listen, this right now this guy is the best player in the world, but you know, as we've seen from this world golf rankings, it has not been a sustained level of success over a long period of time. I am uh I'm anxious to see who the next person is that is going to hold that number 1 world ranking and do so for a couple of years. I mean, I'd, obviously Dustin Johnson um, was the number one ranked player in the world for well over a year. And you could have, you know, there was a very good argument to say that he was the best player in the world. But again, it, it was for like a year, you know. Um, I, I want a number one player in the world that just kicks ass for a year to two to five years. I mean, that's that's what I want. I want to witness greatness. I grew up in the era of Tiger Woods. I want to see dudes just getting publicly humiliated by exceptionally talented golfers. And let's even drop the the plural. Let's drop the S, by a single golfer. So, anyway, Brooks Kepka, I look forward to seeing you atop the World Golf Rankings here in another week or so. Uh, for Mr. Rose, I hope that a return to the number one spot in the World Rankings caused you to, you know, get a little bump, maybe a bonus of some kind, wh- whatever it may be, whatever kind of arbitrary a uh, clause you may have in a contract or something like that that gets you paid for being the number one golfer in the world. Hey, brother, I hope uh, I hope you got it. So, uh, on to another item of professional news. Obviously, uh, by now you know that Bryson DeChambeau won. Uh, he was victorious at the Shriners Hospital for Children's Open this past weekend in Las Vegas. It is Bryson's fifth win on the PGA Tour and his fourth victory in the last five months. Months, absolutely incredible, torrid play from uh, from Bryson DeChambeau. He obviously won two of the FedEx Cup playoff events last year. I believe he also won the Memorial uh, Jack Nicklaus's tournament up in Ohio, and now he has a victory here um, in the you know in the fall part of the season at the Shriners Hospital for Children's Open. So really good stuff. As you know, anybody who's listening to this podcast at you know any. You know, with with any length of time, knows that I'm a little skeptical of Bryson DeChambeau. Not of the fact that he's a great golfer, but just of the whole package, right? Um, but that being said, I'm I'm starting to be I, I'm willing to admit that Bryson DeChambeau, uh, despite my near decade of life experience advantage on him, I, he might actually be smarter than me. And by I say, and when I say might, I mean he definitely is smarter than me. It. It, it had, had a real come-to-Jesus moment when I was like, shit, this guy actually did graduate with, like, a degree in engineering and whatever other kind of bullshit that he—whatever other kind of science stuff that he's uh he's gotten himself into. He he actually is pretty fucking smart, and uh, it was kind of solidified when I remember reading an article from uh, the the same golf writer that I reference in almost every episode of this podcast, the great Alan Shipnuck, when he was predicting who the best player in the world would be in, like, 2020, 2021— and he, without hesitation, uh, he said Bryson DeChambeau, and I was like, well, if Allen sees it, then I am inclined to believe uh, believe it. And, you know, based on what we've seen in 2018, there there's really not a lot of reason to believe that uh, he is not going to be great. Now, is he going to be that dominant, unquestioned, number one ranked golfer in the world, like I was just talking about in that last little segment? I, I don't know. Um, if he is... It'll be very interesting because he is such a polarizing figure that he's not going to be universally loved in the way that Tiger Woods was, and I'm not sure he ever will be. But if he does get to that point where Bryson's winning five plus times on tour every year for like a period of five to 10 years, and that obviously would put him into the top ranked player in the world, and would he have that same kind of mojo? And would golf fans like myself, and presumably you, get the same level of enjoyment? of watching Bryson DeChambeau um, kick the shit out of the field versus, you know, somebody else. Um, I don't know. I, I don't know. Only time will tell, so uh, congratulations to Bryson. Um, sticking with him, uh, within the last week, the news has come out that Bryson, uh, when these new USGA rules change that allow players to leave the flagstick in the cup, Bryson has stated that he has every intention of leaving the flagstick in the hole for certain putts, and... Um, you know, that is going to be very, very interesting. I know this is an argument that Casey and I had on a podcast. Oh, geez, you know, probably right when these new rules came out, uh, you know, or at least when uh, the I guess they kind of debuted and kind of put it out there that they were considering going to allow or going to allow players to leave the flags to get in and Casey was arguing, you know, why would you ever do that? That is that is precious space. Um, that is being taken up by a flagstick in a hole that's already small, which just means that it's less room for the ball to fall in the cup with. I I don't know. I, I, I have not done enough research. I have not seen enough scientific evidence one way or the other to determine whether or not it is beneficial to leave that thing in or not. But, hey, when those rules change and Bryson starts doing it, um, we are going to find out real quickly how advantageous... ...advantageous... <laughs> how advantageous it is to leave that flagstick in. Um, and the way you're going to tell is how many other players start doing it. Bryson is going to be the one that starts out. Um, and if he's fi- if he finds a lot of success, you know, if he finds the bottom of the cup on a lot of these, these putts where he's leaving the flagstick in the hole, you are going to see a lot of other tour players starting to mimic it and uh, incorporate that into their games. I don't know from an aesthetic standpoint, from a viewership standpoint, if watching these guys putt with the flag stick in is going to feel and look weird, I don't know if I'll like it. I don't know if I'll have any opinion whatsoever. I I, I really don't. Um, I, I know that a article that I saw that reference I think it might have been a golf.com uh, kind of roundtable they were doing about this, this topic, and one of the gentlemen there, and I, I apologize to who you are for forgetting your name. I don't have the notes out here in front of me, but he was saying something about how you know this is going to go into effect, but it's also very possible that after a year or two, they may revisit this rule and force players to start taking the f- you know the the flagstick out of the hole and have it all be based on aesthetics. And he kind of equated it to um, the anchored putting rule where they allowed it. They had a couple years of it. People started complaining about it. Said it didn't look right. It didn't feel right. It was kind of against what golf represents. And so they reversed it and now anchored putters are no longer allowed and it's not impossible to imagine a similar course of events um, taking place with this whole flagstick rule I don't know if it's something that maybe eventually the PGA Tour will start instituting local rules where you can't leave the flagstick in for PGA Tour tournaments but maybe the recreational and amateur golfer are allowed to leave the flagstick in when they are playing I don't know Um, it will be interesting so it's a cool Interesting story for us to keep our eyes on, kind of going forward. And then the last couple of little bits of uh, professional golf-related news. Um, The the European Union and the European Tour, excuse me, um, is looking to Italy to host the 2022 Ryder Cup. Um, Unfortunately, the course and the region they have targeted, uh, which I believe is Rome, is doesn't really have a golf course to host it, and they're talking about reconstructing a what I've heard is a somewhat shitty golf course uh, <laughs> to um, host the 2022 Ryder Cup. What I understand is don't don't you have the UK? Don't you have Ireland and Scotland and England in Europe? Why why do they continue to host Ryder Cups at modern? It, it's harsh to say, and I'm sorry to do it. But why do they have to go to shitty golf courses for the Ryder Cup when there are so many spectacular golf courses, both both in America and over in Europe? It, it doesn't make any sense to me. Just because the U.S. Open plays at some of these great golf courses once every handful of years doesn't mean you can't go there at the Ryder Cup, too. So very, very disappointing. Uh, anyway, that's uh, my little quick rant on the Ryder Cup uh, venues now over. Um, This is one little quick news story that uh, doesn't really impact anybody. It's just kind of weird and uh, quirky. And that is uh, right now we're in the middle of Q School, where players from the Web.com tours and the amateur ranks, both for the ladies and the men, are trying to qualify, hence the Q in Q School, um, to get their tour cards and everything like that for the 2019 season. And there was a small incident for the ladies where uh, one Doris Chen, the 2014 NCAA champion, um... She was disqualified from a tournament because, and this is no lie, this is this is factual stuff here. Her mother, uh, while spectating, took her golf ball that was hit out of bounds and placed it in bounds. <laughs> yeah, I'm not I'm not kidding you. Placed it in bounds. Picked up her daughter's golf ball, which was in play, or I guess technically out of play because it was out of bounds, and then placed it in the field of play. A home a nearby homeowner saw her do it, called it in. And because of that, Doris Chen was disqualified. Um, I'm going to say, through no fault of her own, I I hate to be this. I you know, in a in a PC world, I hate to bring up anything like this. But uh, I'll tell you what, man, those tiger moms—they they, they're serious, man. They want they want those children to win. As somebody who has lived in the Far East for several years, it it is very much a real thr- a real thing. I I don't doubt this at all. So, uh, unfortunately for Doris, her mother has. Uh, uh, Made the news for reasons that she is probably wishing that had never happened. So I'm very, uh, you know, a very hearty sorry um, to Doris Chen. Mom, stay out of the way. All right? Just just stay just stay in your lane. All right. Uh, let's see here. We're kind of putting a wrap on the professional-related news here for the week. The last little thing is uh, it's kind of related to West Coast golf, and that is for the West Coast swing that happens in the early portion of the calendar year. Um one of the first tournaments on that schedule is the tournament contested down at PGA West in Palm Desert for the last several years. It has been known as the Career Builder Challenge. And uh, some news here from uh is that due to some uh, company changes in terms of ownership or um, leadership, uh, Career Builder will no longer be the title sponsor um, of that tournament. The PGA Tour is now searching for a new title sponsor. However, due to the language in the contract, um, CareerBuilder is still on the hook for the $5.6 million purse and sponsorship of the 2019 tournament. They likely, because of that, will still be the title sponsor. However, there is an outside chance that CareerBuilder will have to flip the bill for this tournament, and yet the PGA Tour will find another title sponsor, which is crazy. Uh if CareerBuilder is going to be putting all that money into it and they don't get to be a title sponsor, oh man, I can only imagine some heads will be rolling. So anyway, um very interesting stuff. <laughs> uh we'll we'll, we'll kind of see what shakes out with that as the beginning of the 2019 golf season gets a little bit closer, but uh, it's something to keep an eye on. And then uh lastly, a little bit of news. This one, this one actually hits home. This one's this one is really it's really tough for me, and that is uh, the most beautiful, attractive, dare I say, sexy woman in professional golf broadcasting. Miss Holly Saunders has uh, had her golf contract with Fox. It was not renewed. Can you believe that? So uh, next year, Holly Saunders will not be a part of Fox's USGA golf broadcasts. Um, which is a a huge bummer. I know you know for several years she was at the Golf Channel. She was uh, much loved there, not only for her savagely good looks, um, but also because she was a great contributor. And she was you know she was that rare combination of a absolutely drop dead gorgeous woman who really knew her shit. Um, golf actually tends I think tends to have more of those than a lot of other um, sports for whatever reason. It attracts a lot of really uh intellectually stimulating and also very attractive women. Um and Holly Saunders definitely, you know, qualified under both those categories. She has been doing a lot of college football broadcasts for the past year for Fox, and it appears that she is going to continue in that capacity, but will no longer be a part of the golf broadcast, which is a real damn shame. I don't know what golf.com is gonna do when they do their annual like most attractive women in golf feature every year, because even though she's only kind of been a fringe uh, participant in the golf world, only doing those USGA broadcasts for the last couple of years, she's just so goddamn sexy that they keep on putting her up there number one, and nobody's got a problem with it because she is just that smoking hot. And uh, yeah, with her out of the mix, they're they're gonna have to find another beautiful lady to come in and uh and fit into the mix for their 2019 edition of golf's most beautiful women. Um, and that's it for about news, everybody. Um, at least on the professional related level, um, we got some other news here, yeah, I was speaking with uh, one of the members of the management team up at Gamble Sands, now, if you guys are not familiar with Gamble Sands, it is a 18-hole David McClay Kid uh, golf course up in North Central Washington, um, which has, you know, basically for the last three, three and a half years since it's been open, has just been getting rave reviews from anybody that has actually been able to make the journey up there to check it out. It is uh, oddly enough, I, I'm sure if you're listening to this podcast, you're well aware of golf resorts and architecture all over the country. Um, but more recently, David McClay Kid opened up a course at Sand Valley, uh, known as Mammoth Dunes. Sand Valley, of course, a Mike Kaiser property, the same gentleman that owns and founded Bannon Dunes. Um, and it was David McClay's kids or David McClay Kid's golf course at Gamble Sands that gave him the opportunity to go and design that course at Mammoth Dunes. After you know McClay Kid's um, initial course was built at Bannon, it was a massive massive success. It really put him on the radar. He began to design more and more golf courses. Uh, and in those next you know those following couple years, his course design started to kind of get a little out there. They started to become much more penal and um, but by many golfers accounts, uh, they just started to become a little less fun because they were often so challenging and so kind of uh, t- tweaked out and, you know, had all kinds of weird little, you know, humps and bumps and everything like that. Well, you know, David, by all accounts, I've never met David, but he seems like a good guy, and I I think he realized that, you know, his number one responsibility is to obviously do whatever the owner and developer of a golf course is asking him to do but most of them were wanting him to come in and do something similar to what he did at Bandon Dunes and the thing he did at Bandon that didn't seem to translate to many of his other properties was he just made a wildly fun golf course a golf course that for guys that are, you know, going out and playing with a 30 handicap, they could still go have an absolute blast. Guys going out there at scratch golfers, they're they're getting challenged and and they're having a wonderful time too. And so With this course up at Gamble Sands, you know, pretty much David McClay Kidd just focused on building the most fun golf course he possibly could. It is wide. And when I say wide, I mean it is wide, wide, wide. Um, Huge fairway corridors, you know, a lot of them, you know, 50-plus yards wide. Um, Huge greens. And, you know, in an interview I heard him do, you know, he talks about how for so many decades, uh, golf course architects were trying to defend par. Right, they wanted to defend the golf course against par, so it would be challenging. You know, they wanted to make people work to, you know, to earn, you know, to get a par, and they had to do, do something brilliant to, um, to make a birdie. Well, his philosophy up at Gamble Sands was simply to, hey, I'm here to defend birdie. I want, I want people to make pars. I want people to come up here and have a great round, and you know, set one of their record lows, uh, for low scores. And I, you know what? I'm gonna make it. Ch- if somebody a scratch golfer wants to come out here and mess with the course record. I will make that difficult, okay? Birdies will be challenging, pars will be easily attainable and you know, some people hear that and they're like, "Oh, well, that seems soft." But you know what? That is the direction that golf course architecture is going. Um, it is remarkable how many more people enjoy playing golf when they're when they're playing well. When when they put when they post good scores. It is remarkably good for the game of golf and so uh, Gamble Sands has been an absolute success. After they opened that 18-hole golf course, they have since uh, accompanied it with a Himalayas-type putting course, similar to what you see at the Punch Bowl at Bandon Dunes, or you know the Himalayas course at St. Andrews, where it's a couple-acre putting green. You have an 18-hole putting course, and then they also have a lodge and hotel. Uh, I don't know exactly how many rooms, um, but anyway, it, it's a very cool golf destination. You know, unlike Bandon, um, it only has one golf course, but then again. When it first opened in 1999, which, crazy enough, is almost 20 years ago, uh, when it first opened, Band of Dunes only had one golf course as well. Uh, and then it grew. And uh, after speaking with my contact at Gamble Sands, it is uh, it looks like it is all but assured that they are going to be expanding as well. So as of right now, they have an 18-hole golf course, a putting course, and then a hotel. It looks to me that starting possibly as soon as next year, they will be breaking ground on a second 18-hole golf course and then also have plans to build a par-3 course as well, which would kind of put it as like a little, um, you know, abandoned light. And I, I don't mean that as a, um, a a sign of disrespect at all to Gamble Sands. Their property, from all accounts, appears to be uh, very different and unique um, than that of Bannon Dunes. But, you know, it, it's just creating another really cool, really inspiring golf destination for us Pacific Coast golfers. Um so, you know, in a couple years from now we may have one more place with fantastic fescue filled Lynx golf where there's a couple golf courses in a remote location, a par three course and a putting course to to mess around with in the in the evenings. And um it it seems to me that another uh, budding, wonderful golf resort is kind of in the making up in the Pacific Northwest. And for all of us on the Pacific Coast, we are the ones that are going to benefit from it. I hope um, to actually get up there next year. There should be a little more news coming up in the next few podcasts. I'm still talking to one of our representatives um, or a representative up at Gamble Sands to try to get a golf guide-sponsored trip together up there for 2019. Maybe go up and spend a couple of nights and play the course two or three times and then, you know, surround it with a lot of booze and food and good times and things like that. So please be on the lookout for that. But uh, Gamble Sands appears uh, uh, locked in to, be, you know, continue expanding And building additional golf courses which is uh obviously good for golfers all over the place so um with that little bit of news that's uh that's pretty much it everybody i don't have anything else for you i hope you had a wonderful time uh listening you know if you had half as good a time listening to me ramble as i did rambling into this microphone um we're gonna call this one a success so uh with that everybody thank you again for your time uh, I don't do this very often, but if you enjoy this podcast even a little bit, I would strongly encourage you to do me a massive solid and go and leave the Golf Guide podcast a review on iTunes. Five stars is awesome. Four stars is, you know, okay. Three stars and below. Maybe, you know, maybe don't leave a review after all. I, I, I don't know. But anyway, <laughs> uh, sorry to uh, just whore myself out like that. But, uh, yeah, th- th- it is very, very helpful. The more reviews we get... Um, the higher we bump up in the iTunes ratings. And if we get bumped up in the iTunes ratings and, you know, podcast scores, it all of a sudden starts to create an opportunity where, you know, we might actually be able to make a little bit of money with this podcast. So obviously that is far-fetched, but hey, dare to dream, everybody. Dare to dream. And with that, I hope you all have a wonderful weekend. I'll be back next week. And until then, mahalo.